So, um, I really, I'm happy. I'm happy, Jen. You know, I'm happy too. Cause I feel like this was a week where I reread a book I've read before and have, I read once and enjoyed it, but like reread it and was like, what? I had a great time. Yeah. It's a great book. Yeah. Um, welcome everybody to Fate of Mates. We're starting right off. I'm so proud of us. I'm Sarah McLean. Consummate professionals. <laughs> I write romance novels and I read romance novels. And I'm Jen Prokop. I am a romance reader and critic. And we are your hosts. We're your cruise directors on this wild ride that is Nikki Sloan's Three Little Mistakes. Yes. And I think, have we ever really talked about erotic romance before? I mean, I guess, priest. But I don't think we ever talked about priest in, through the lens of erotica, like erotic romance, because we were so busy talking about priest in a thousand other ways. Sure. And we had Sierra on to talk about McGreeve in season one. Mm-hmm. And we talked about the fact then that we believe that McGreeve is the closest Cressley gets to erotic romance. Um, but this, I think, is our first, like, real, like, we picked this romance in part because it is erotic romance, and we want to talk about the genre, the subgenre. So, I guess one of the things it's worth, like, doing, like, erotica and erotic romance are kind of two different things, I would say, right? Erotic romance, like, the promise is really that it's going to follow, um, like, a relationship build for the people involved as opposed to erotica which really some you know might just really be the sexual relationship without any other promise of the hea or whatever so um sometimes people use those terms interchangeably but i think we're really going to talk about erotic romance today i don't actually have much interest in erotica as a it doesn't scratch the same itch right without yeah without any judgment to people who love it like it's just not my thing like i'm not I'm not that interested in it. I'm very interested in erotic romance, though, because I feel like there's something really powerful about romances where the sex is transformative. Yeah, integral to the relationship, to the conflict, to the whole experience. Yeah, and I think it's like, so there's a lot of really common kind of definitions for erotic romance. the, The most common definition for erotic romance is sort of like a... It's a really interesting one where it's like, if you took it out, if you took the sex out, like the the plot would collapse, mm-hmm. which is like a real, it's an interesting and difficult, like it's always been a kind of an unsatisfying definition for me in some ways, because defining something by its absence, right, essentially, or its presence. Yeah, also my argument would be for that, I've never loved that definition either, in part because I feel like in romance novels in general, if there is sex on the page, it should be transformative in some ways. Yes. I really, like, strongly believe that sex should always amp up a conflict in a romance right. novel. Right. Or deepen intimacy or right, show right, right. some sort of growth or progression. You and I should think- never be able to lift. This is why um, I'm always, I'm always really like surprised when people say like, Oh, I skipped the sex scenes. It's like, well, you shouldn't really be able to skip the sex scenes and still understand the story in any romance. But in erotica, in erotic romance, rather, it's so much more essential to maybe all aspects of the story. 
and to their characters, I think. And so yes. the definition I really like the best, actually, was Jen Porter was talking about how she sort of come around to the idea that what erotic romance should really be is two people who are exploring, like, their sexual relationship and identities together mm. and perhaps pushing each other into new and interesting directions because of it. Yeah. And I think that that's, like, a definition that then feels Again, it's not like, oh, I could take it out and it'd be missing. That's true for, I think, every romance. But rather that this sexual identity is a really big part of their relationship identity. And I think also I would just add, like, the act itself, the structure of the act itself impacts, you know, character conflict. Yes. Intimacy, you know plot all the whole the whole experience whereas i think like i could write a sex scene in a tree or like on the ground or in a bed or in a carriage (laughs) and you would still like it would transform the book in whatever way right right but it would but i could sort of change the location or change the type of sex they were having and sort of it wouldn't matter so much. Whereas I think in erotic romance, it matters like the acts, the location, like how it's Mm -hmm. happening. The, the sex acts themselves each do a different kind of thing. Um, it's not always sex for pleasure in erotic romance. It's sex for it's work. And, And what I mean by that is like, it's doing work in the book, all the choices that are made, um, by writers of erotic romance are making they're making clear choices in the sex scenes that impact the story in different ways than the choices I make in sex scenes. Right. And I think part of that and and is I don't think in I think it's really hard in American culture to like unpack your sexual identity and mm-hmm. your gender identity. And that is all really complicated. It's hard to do. It's, you know, there's, well, there's so much. such embedded kink shaming in American culture. One of the things about the way that American society is so puritanical is that people who are really investigating their own sexual identity um, and really trying to figure out, like, what that says about who they are, like, for themselves— I think there's not a lot of places that we get that. And I think, like, I think that's what's so interesting to me about erotic romance is, like, for many people, like, their sexual identity is kind of a big part of their adult identity and who Mm -hmm. they are. And yet there's so few places to talk about that or to think about that. And, you know, and, and I think the charge of this is always, like, of course, like, well, that's porn, right? And... And I think that, like, they're so, like, the vulnerability in these books when they're done well, the Mm. way that characters sort of, like, find, like, these corners of who they are is some of the most, um, like, raw stuff in romance to me, right? It's, like, really unfiltered, and I think that that's what I like about it. I have been saying for years, um publicly that I believe that some of the best writing in romance, some of the best work in romance is happening in erotic romance right now. Um, because I feel like this is the subgenre that is, that is really pushing the boundaries and testing the boundaries of the genre in a way. And that's in part because if you think about it, um, 
you know, you think about the Rita Award, um, the erotic romance category is was very new. Now, yeah. of course, the Rita has been retired. There's a new award coming, the Vivian, which mm-hmm. I'm, you know, great job, RWA, <laughs> finally giving Vivian Stevens her due. Um, but the but I want to talk about the fact that, like, for many years, um, that erotic romance category of the Rita didn't exist. Yeah. And then it was kind of controversial when it when it began. Um, and then, and now there is, and there has been over time, there have been a number of books that ended up in that category as finalists that I would argue are not in fact erotic romance. And one of the things, look, romance has a lot to reckon with. RWA, (laughs) please, has like a list of things to reckon with before they get to this. But like at some point, we need to have a conversation as a genre about what makes an erotic romance versus a sexy contemporary. Yeah. And I think... Or sexy historical. Yeah. And I I find that too. I've... I do a lot of reading for like local contests and I I am a person who's like yes please give me the erotic romance category I'm happy to do that and often I'm like I'm not sure this qualifies no it's really funny I remember not long ago saying somebody asking online like what's the line like what makes an erotic romance and somebody responded like oh anything with anal and I'm like that what no <laughs> Not since since Sonny Chandler's Chandler's return in in 1987, right? Sorry. But also, like, and also, like, that's such a weird thing because it immediately discounts all, it places all, 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 like, queer romance, a lot of queer romance ends up in erotic romance, even though, like, a lot of queer romance is not at all erotic. Like, it's just a perfect small town contemporary romance, like you're like milk toasty romances. But like, I think we are, what's really interesting is this subgenre more than I would say all the others really showcases the shaming that still exists in romance around certain acts. Yeah. Well, and I don't know if I've ever talked about this before, but I, I would like to also, like, explicitly say this for our readers. It's, like, a little bit – it's related to what you just said, but in um, YA, in YA romance, if it is a queer relationship, it is often – even if it's, like, middle grade, it is often then, like, assumed to be for older readers or, like, it, we shouldn't put it on shelves at all. And yeah. I would just like to say that's real gross. Well – and. I, it like infuriates. I get really mad because the idea that somehow queer romance is is sexier or more erotic or more on the edge—that's just you really showing your your bigotry. Yeah, I mean, I think that we're all, we also are starting to see that bigotry and that really questionable uh, viewpoint in content warnings. As romance starts to sort of use more content warnings at the beginnings of books, I'm starting to see content warnings for things that make me feel uncomfortable with, like, it's un- it makes me uncomfortable that somebody would content warn, say, yeah. um, lesbian sex or, right. you know, anal or sex work on the page. Um, these kinds of things are not... It's not, it makes me feel uncomfortable that we would content warn yeah. consensual sex between two people. 
That's absolutely or three, menage, right? Like, can, if it is consensual on the page and it's inside the pages of a romance novel, I don't see. Yeah. I start to feel uncomfortable with the idea that we would start that we would be regressive in some way, considering yeah. we are a genre that has, for so many years, been the only place where people can, as you just said, explore their kink and their identity vis-a-vis kink. I actually won't read books where people, if your content weren't in consensual sex between adults, I won't read your books because I'm offended that you feel like you have to do that. And I, and, and I get other people are like, I need content warnings. And I appreciate that for cancer and suicide and things. But in a romance, putting content warnings on sex, consensual sex is really, I really struggle with it. It feels, again, I'm using that word puritanical a lot, but it, I don't like it. It starts to feel like you're like, we're, questioning the content of the books in a really kind of shaming way. Um, and I, and I don't, I, I, I welcome somebody coming to us with an, a defense of this, like why this is not shaming. Um, but it, you know, it, it's a worry for me, particularly when we're talking about books that are doing such important work like this book. Right. Um, which I think is doing a lot of really interesting work on so many, yeah. there are so many layers to this book that I don't think I, um, so uh, let's just get into it. I yeah. read this book um, when it first came out. I put it in the Washington Post column when I was writing a column for the Post. Um, and it was one of the first, could have been the first erotic mm-hmm. romance I put into the column I believe that it was because I think I emailed my editor, uh, Ron Charles, at the time and said, mm-hmm. is it okay if I oh, interesting. put, an erotic, put romance. an erotic romance into the post? And he was cool. He was always cool about everything. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, it's totally fine. So it's 2015. So it was. It was. I had been writing the column for a year and a half, probably, when this came out. And I read it. And it was the first book that I'd ever read by Nikki. And I've since read all of Nikki's books, and I she's going to come on the podcast and talk more about erotic romance. Like, I think it's mm-hmm. useful for you and I to have somebody on who yeah, right. writes it as a matter of course and has really written all across the spectrum of erotic romance. Um, Nikki has been banned from Amazon for one of her books. Like, she is really pushing the boundaries in a lot of different ways. Um, I don't think, I think this book pushes really interesting boundaries, but doesn't like get to a place where her book sorted, which is non-consent. Yeah. Um, was banned from Amazon. Um, and we'll have her talk. We'll talk a little bit about that with her too. So you want to do a plot summary of this one a little bit? You go. Okay. Well, let me say this is the third book in a series. It's a standalone about a place called the Blindfold Club, essentially a sex club in Chicago who the owner is Joseph. I had forgotten that it was Chicago. Oh, yeah. It was, and, she, you know, Nikki lives here. So I was like, oh, it feels oh, she does it well. I didn't know she lived here there. Yeah, I should hang out with her. I'm like, hey, Nikki. Hey, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's interesting about this book, I will just say, is I read them in I read them in order. And this is book three. And. In book one, so book one is about a woman who essentially needs to make a money, a bunch of money, and her best friend Peyton works in the club, and Peyton's like, you can make that money in one night, 
And what's really interesting is in the scene, she has to essentially try out by giving Joseph, who's the hero of this book, like a blowjob. Like, just prove to me that you can do this. Like, And so we already have like a sense of who he is as a good guy, but also just like, yes, I am essentially, I own a, a brothel. Yep. In book two is Peyton's book, and she falls in love with someone, and they, I think, are in Japan together. Mm-hmm. And then in book Dominic. three. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so it's funny. I did not, that's not my favorite. I liked one, I liked one, I like this one, and I like the next one. Yeah. Um, in this one, though, we get Joseph, and he um, is kind of at a different club of his, and he sees a girl, a young woman, who he actually is pretty sure is underage, get essentially in the wrong place at the wrong time on the floor of the bar when a fight breaks out. And he takes her up to his office to essentially, like, um, like check on her, right? Like I'm the owner of the club. Like let's well, make sure also that he's you're concerned because he believes she's under 21. Yes. And so he's like, shit, now she's been punched in a bar yeah. brawl yeah. in my club. Um, and if police come and she files a report, I'm fucked. Yeah. And like right. the, you're in his POV and it's incredibly clear that he's like, she's hot, but like, she's also young and, really is putting me in a bad place. So I got to get her out of here a separate way. Yes. So what's interesting, though, is, like, there's this really, there's an instantaneous attraction between them Mm -hmm. that plays out in different ways. He's sort of horrified by how young she is, right? And her name's um, Noemi, right? It's, like, an interesting pronunciation because sometimes people call her M. Is that right? Was that how Mm -hmm. you'd say it? Yeah, Noemi. And um, he offers to drive her home. And it's a fascinating scene. I feel like, I mean, this is like, this is how they meet, right? And it's almost like I'm like, the plot is like, boom, instantaneous, because they pull off into a parking lot and are going to like have sex in his Porsche. (laughs) Yeah, which I'm sure I thought this at the time, too, when I read this scene, but like, there, and they do. Like, she says it. She's basically like, there's no way we're having sex in this Porsche. Yeah. Um, but then I sort of said to Eric, um, I can't I can't remember the, the, the model of the Porsche anymore. But <laughs> I, I said out loud to Eric, like, hey, Eric, do you know about this Porsche? And he's like, yeah, that, that's been around for, like, 40 years. It's like yeah. the famous Porsche. And I was like, can you have sex in the front seat? And he was like, not unless you're leprechauns. <laughs> Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> Mythological creatures, even like not even just like regular short people. Like you got to be tech. And oh, these are not amazing. short people either. No. These are like normal. Yeah, right. Well, he's huge, and she's like a normal regular. sized person. Yeah, <laughs> she's regular. She's regular. Um. So what's a really interesting about but this? But she does. She like climbs over and like there's yeah. just no way. So you have to suspend. It's a little like carriage sex. Like you sort yeah. of have to sure. suspend disbelief. It's fine. Sure. What's really interesting, though, in but they this don't moment, do it. They don't do it, right? Is she keeps saying, and it's like a really fascinating thing in the book. She keeps saying, "Wait, wait, wait," and he is like, "I don't. You're saying no, so we're done. Yeah, and I'm not doing this." And from there, we get, I think, a, a lot of really interesting conflict between the two. Yeah. Because he senses that he could, you know, essentially it's like the use of like dominant and submissive, but it's not like sort of dungeon dominant and submissive in that no. way. It's Just kinky. Like, it's kinky. kinky. 
Yeah. But it never really gets to, I mean, like, look, it's 2015 at this point, like it's the height of BDSM as, as story arc. Right. And I think that what I like so much about this book is that what Nikki is doing here is, um, Placing that on the page as part of their sexual experiences without, like, making it... Right. Without making it lurid. Is lurid the word I'm looking for? Without making, like... Without making it, like... Other. Yeah. You're not... You're not watching animals in a zoo here. Like, you're watching two people who, like, enjoy things. Yeah. It's interesting because, you know, when we were doing Cressley's series, we um, talked about, you know... We, I think this came up. There's like the master where, you know, she's in a chastity belt and there, you know, he buys her or no, the player where he like buys her a room full of toys. And it's like, yeah, you know, it's like you sort of the mind boggles at like the (laughs) sheer amount of toys that they have in this house. You don't have that in the. In this book, right. like there's no sort of, oh, there's no, your eyes don't go wide at the idea of the, right. any of the sex that's happening here. And I think that's a credit to Nikki's skill. Like, yeah, she seamlessly integrates all different kinds of kink into this book without ever making you feel like you're watching animals in a zoo. Right. I think, yeah. I mean, so that's it. It just felt like kind of, again, like kind of regular, right? Like people who are interested in this life, yeah. but, you know, like sort of the the red room of pain Christian Grey model had sort yeah. of waned at this point, and it felt a lot more like, okay, I could kind of see that this would happen. Yeah, it's I like th- sometimes, like there's a, mo- there's a scene where there's like a crop, but like it's not like a huge thing, and then there's right. a scene where it's like, you know, they're, you know, he does a lot of like airplay, they do some airplay. Yes. That is like... You know, every time it happens, I'm a little bit like, oh, no, that's, that seems very dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> but you don't feel like, oh, God, this is weird. You feel like this is cool. Like these two people are enjoying each other. One of the things I really liked about this is so he oh, R.I.P. Tumblr. He sets up a Tumblr account oh, for her. I know. It's so sexy. It really is. And what he tells her is. He says, okay, what I want you to do is I want you to essentially like, you know, re, I can't remember what's called on Tumblr, right? Essentially like share the ones that you, five things a day that you really think are sexy. And the first day she sort of, she's scared, right? Yeah. She's, she's nervous really scared that, he'll her. that he'll judge her. I mean, which feels real, man. Yes. And so she puts up five things that are kind of sexy but safe. And he calls her on it. And he says, I don't think that's how you really feel at all. And, you know, and he says to her, I want you to remember I'm the one who set this up for you. Everything that is in there are things that are going to turn me on to. And it's, I thought it was like a really fascinating – I mean, and I remember actually reading it the first time mm-hmm. being like – this is fascinating to me as a a safe way to say this is what I think is sexy. I'm just going to put it in this feed. And by you seeing it too, you'll know the things I'm. It's also incredible. It's deft. It's a deft way of navigating that stupid fucking contract. Mm -hmm. 
Like, I'm yes. sorry. I apologize if you've written a fucking contract into your books, you guys. But, like, they're so dumb. And, like, I don't – I hate them because they feel so – and, I mean, like, maybe in real life this is the way – I don't know. I don't either, right? Yeah. Full disclosure, this is not my relationship with my partner. But and maybe, like, paper contracts are important. But, like, it feels to me like what this is doing is this, the same kind of experience where it's like, you know, there's a lot of discussion in this book about limits mm-hmm. versus, like, right. um, orders. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I want to get to that scene in Hawaii, which I think is just, like, the perfect sex scene. Um, but there's... But what's really interesting here is this convert the the tumbler is the contract. Yes. The tumbler is like here are my hard like here are the things I want to explore. You right. can choose what things we explore. And what I really yes, and what I really like about it, right? Is again, it's like that inverse. Instead of like, okay, here are the things I don't want to do. It's here are the things I do want to do. Yeah. Right? Here are the things that I think are sexy. And it's, by the way, it's not like a laundry list. It's not like we're going to do these in a certain order. It's just like, this turned me on. It turned my crank. Like, let's figure this out. Yeah. I mean, I think that what we're getting at here is there's something about this book and and most of Nikki's books read this way, where there's an authenticity to the sexual relationship that, again, feels... Well, authentic, right? So um, this feels like a thing that you could do thoughtfully with your partner mm-hmm. to explore um, your sexual relationship. There's also the the back and forth. You brought it up before, but the back and forth between wait and stop. You yes. know, he says, anytime you say stop, that is a word I will honor, right? Right. You, we don't need a stupid safe word. Like, you don't need to say, like, sure. Easter basket to me for me to stop <laughs> in the middle of sex. Like, say stop. You can say stop. Yeah. And then if you say, if you say, wait, I know what that means. Like, I know that's fear. It means push. Like, push me a little bit further. Push me into it. Yeah. Um, Nervousness. That's nervousness. Like, stop is a hard limit. And I think these things, I think what she's doing is really, what she's done here is sort of deftly drawn to characters who feel really real. Which is kind of what you want. I mean, it's obviously what you want in all romance, but it's really what you want in erotic romance. Like, you want to see real people thinking in real ways about their sexual identity. Yeah, and about, I mean, I think it it also felt real to me that it was kind of like, how do I feel about the fact that I want these things and where does it come from? And maybe it comes from nowhere and that's okay too. And the things that just turn me on, turn me on. And, you know, I, I really liked like sort of the, the emotional work that went along with like figuring out what that is. And I think that's something that again, erotic romance doesn't get credit for. Look, full disclosure, this book, the hero, I've talked about this on, I've talked about this exact book on the podcast before. Um, and the hero is a cancer survivor. 20 years ago, he, when he was a teenager, he had lymphoma and he survived. And um, I, this time around, I thought, I was thinking a lot about Adriana and you and like your conversations about trauma. Um, because I think, again, it's a really, first of all, it's really rare to see a hero in any romance particularly erotic romance, who has a real authentic childhood trauma that isn't, 
like abuse. That yes. is like a real thing that happens to people. And mm-hmm. I mean, not that abuse doesn't happen to people, but like a real thing that happens to like, we've all seen cancer at some point in our life, right? right. Cancer is one of those, it's almost like a third rail of romance in some ways, in part because it is so real for so many, because all of us have been touched by it. And it is a really kind of terrifying thing for grownups, right? Like there's a sense of a real, like an adult in the world Cancer is a constant sort of boogeyman. It's a real life boogeyman. And what, and Nikki is really using that in a thoughtful way. Like, cancer, particularly, I imagine, when you have faced death in that sense as a child, like as a teen, it does shape who you are. I can see how it would make Mm -hmm. you into somebody who refuse to give up control in any way. I can see how it would build a hero like Joseph. Yeah. I guess what else I would say is like, to me, one of the, so he tells her, right. He's like, I'm 20 years cancer free this week or whatever. (gasps) And nobody else knows. Nobody else knows even. And so then they, they have essentially like a, a date with Peyton and Dominic. Right. And they all have sex. And, or actually she has sex with them, I would say, right? He really just watches and has sex with her. But it's really interesting that Peyton's like, I didn't know this, right? And so it's, again, this moment where we understand, like, he's being vulnerable with her emotionally. Yeah, he's coming undone long before. Uh, This is another sort of moment where... I was really, I'm just so endlessly impressed with Nikki's writing um, because you don't even realize how much he's coming undone, how early he's coming undone until much later in the book when you're like, oh shit, nobody knew he had cancer. He's never brought a girlfriend home to meet his parents. Like these kinds of things where you think to yourself like, oh, he's been falling from her the for a long time. Yeah. And I think that's such a trope in romance, too. Like, a, I've loved you since the start. Like, God knows I've written it a thousand times. But in this case, you know, talk about show, don't tell, right? Like, yes. Nikki has laid it on the page. The breadcrumbs are there from the start. And again, like, there's a lot of external conflict where I think people think erotic romance is all internal, which yeah. is... It turns out that her dad is one of his best customers at the brothel. And yeah. <laughs> and also one of the most powerful men in Chicago. In Chicago, right? So cross dating her is like the dumbest thing he could do. Also, her father ha- is in, has been in love with Peyton. Yes. For a full like he was a threat to Peyton in the last book, right? Because he wanted Peyton to leave. So we should clarify that Joseph runs this brothel. Um, all the women who work in the brothel choose to work there. It's, yes. you know, he, like, they sure. enjoy, and he's very clear about it. They enjoy sex. They right. get paid very well for the work that they do. And when they choose, when they want to leave, they can leave. Right. right. There's no contract or anything. Um, and so sometimes customers and, and, and uh, workers fall in love. And uh, they end up together. And this particular customer, uh, Noemi's father, (laughs) fell in love with Peyton. But Peyton, of course, did not love him. She fell in love with Dominic. And they went to 
Tokyo. And um, the what's interesting is that when Peyton is returned from Tokyo, that we see right at the very start of this book, they face they Noemi's father and Peyton see each other in the club, and yeah. you see that something there is a possibility that something terrible could happen. Um, yeah. That there is he is a threat, like he's and he is a threat because men who are obsessed with women are threats, right? And right. like that's just on the page. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, he's Noemi's father. He's extremely controlling. She's like, he's powerful and rich enough that paparazzi pay attention to her. Um, she has like a scandalous sister. When I was started reading it again this time, I was like, oh, am I going to not like this? Is this going to seem like too much? But what I ended up liking about it was I forget I don't know how, but every time I read a book where a hero is, cannot resist her, right? Like, I cannot resist her. Mm -hmm. It is real powerful for me, and this book really delivers. It scratches an itch. This is a real drama-filled book. Like, there's a, it's a soap opera of a book. And, like, there's the dad, and there's, like, and there's this back and forth, and then there's, like, you know, he, Joseph feels like he needs to, because remember, all of this is important because sex work is illegal, right? So he is currently, he is trying to deal with the fact that, like, if he, if her father finds out, her father has all the power and uh, the complete ability to shut him down. And what I did like was there was never, a, in the hands of a a lesser author, there would have been a reciprocal threat to the father, right? Like, if you try to close us down, we will prove that you were a client. But Nikki is very careful to never allow the shaming of sex work to happen on the page. And to the point where there's a very a scene that is very uncomfortable for me, where Noemi, the heroine, says all the things that people say about sex work. Like, yes. the what's wrong with these women? Why would they, what would have happened to them in their past that would make them do this? This work is disgusting. Like, she's sort of, she's spouting that, like, very second wave feminist yes. pers- perspective of, like, prostitution and sex work. Like, sex work is prostitution, right? We don't use that yes. word anymore because that's, it's just not, that's not, like, sex work is is work. Um, and so, but she's sort of spouting this very sort of, like, sex work is bad for women. Mm-hmm. And how could they put, no woman actually wants this as a career. And um, it's disgusting and it's to be, it's repugnant. She uses the word disgusting. Any sex worker is always a victim. That's the only way to understand this. Right. And Joseph mm-hmm. and Nikki, clearly. Yeah. And Peyton. I mean, everybody else in the book is sort of the, is a, aware of that being, of not, that not being the case always. Right. And that many women make this choice. I, I particularly like that um, the father, I mean, Obviously, we're going to sort of, I'm sort of spoiling the end, but the father ultimately does, um, he's in a relationship with another woman who he's met at the club, and she's, you know, a lawyer by day, 
and like does this by night. And like these are real things. Like we, you and I have friends who are sex workers. Um, I have, you know, I have a great friend who's a sex worker and like she, she is a, she's a, like works at a finance, a, a giant finance shop in the city and she does this at night. And yeah. it's because she enjoys it and because she likes the extra money and that's yeah. that. Right? right. And so, and this is all great. And so, um, my point is that Nikki avoids falling into the easy traps that this plot could deliver. Yes. And instead produces a father who adores his daughter and is concerned that perhaps she's being manipulated and used um, against him. And ultimately, like, it all works out fine. And he's not the worst dude in the world. Like, he's not a caricature. I felt so much sympathy for her at that point because it's like this, yes, her father kind of adores her in name only, right? Like, because he's convinced, like, the only reason he would want you is to get back at me. He almost can't even conceptualize that, like, no, he just really wants you. And Joseph really does yeah. want her, right? Did you perceive it as that way, though, that the dad was like, you have no value outside of, like, me? Or was it more like, I always, I sort of got it. I mean, and who knows? But it's not that huge of a set piece, so it could it's be not really huge. anything. But my whole thing was, like, if you're going to have a person who is that powerful, and she does set him up as being, like, incredibly sure. powerful, then obviously, like, job one is always to say, like, I need to protect the brand, right? Like, I need to protect the family. Sure. But in conjunction with a scene where she works for him, mm. and he sort of is like, you're going to spend the summer, you know, she's getting an MBA so she can, like, work at the company and, like, take it over one yeah, day. she's going to inherit the right? company. And he's like, well, you're going to work in shitty Department X this summer. And it's not what she wants, and it's not what they agreed upon, but it's what's best for him. So the in conjunction with that mm. scene, I do think there's a way in which he sees her as an extension of himself and not her own person. Mm -hmm. And again, I don't. And I I think by the way, I mean that feels real too. Of course, and a really interesting scene with Joseph's parents is where they try and say you can't spend, you can't oh, sleep together. It's such a great scene, and he, and she's like, you know, the mom's like, you're under our roof, and Joseph is like, well, that's funny because I paid for this house. I know, but it's but then I really love it's the moment where scene. Noemi is like, is like, uh, if you keep being rude to your parents, like I'm gonna want to mm -hmm. sleep on the couch. So watch it. <laughs> like, there's a great diet that Hawaii set piece. So here's my thing. So okay, for those of you who haven't read the book, we did a bad job of we sort of stopped doing As the always, plot fine. overview, but. <laughs> So, okay, so it's a dominant-submissive relationship. Joseph is incredibly controlling. A lot of the early sex is really controlling. There's a lot of, like, don't disobey me, don't do the yeah. thing, I'm going to spank you, There's you need to be crawling. punished. She, he makes her crawl at one point, and I was like, whew. Yeah, but you know what? It's It works for them. <laughs> yeah, it works for them. For me, I was like, oh. oh I was like, but then... Nikki does this really interesting thing that doesn't always happen in these books, right? And so, okay, I think it's pretty clear. Anybody who's been listening to this podcast for a long time knows that, like, BDSM is not, like, it's fine. Like, I, I think of it as a set piece in a book. Like, it's it's not, like, my kink. It's not, it's fine. Um, but the, what, what 
Nikki does is she moves the characters through. So, so there's like the sort of personal, the two of them together doing the, the BDSM thing. And then they move to, they, they do the scene where he's 20 years cancer free and they have the like sexual experience with Peyton and Dominic. And that's very like Dom sub play between all of them. Mm-hmm. And then she removes them from Chicago. Yes. So he goes home. So they have this like intense night with the other couple. Mm -hmm. They go home and he's so moved by this idea that this woman has both has given him this gift for his 20 year anniversary of being cancer free. Like it's all very emotional. Like he's real in his feelings in that moment in a really cool alpha way to like, she's doing like, I'm her boyfriend. Yeah. Like suddenly he's like unlocked and it's really, really nice. The way like it's warm and fuzzy that whole scene after it really is almost like suddenly. So there's this a lot, there's a little bit of discussion at the beginning about like sub drop and how like after somebody's Mm -hmm. had like a, they've done like a true dominant submissive scene in the beginning, like the dominance job. And this is true is to take care of the sub. Um, And so he, like, there's a lot of idea. Nikki sort of plays with this. Like he has to take care of her. He has to comfort her. He has to like, give her what she needs, right? There's a whole, like, Kool-Aid thing that happens. Like, she really likes Kool-Aid. Anyway, so all this stuff. And, um, oh, there's, speaking of, later in the book, there's this great line that I highlighted where it's, like, um, like, he's so thoughtful. Like, he went out and he bought her favorite shampoo and put it in the shower. Yeah. And I was, like, and in my head, I, I sort of stopped there and I thought, what a fun thing for Nikki to write into this. Because I had this moment of, like, this big, like, dark alpha yeah. Going into Rite Aid <laughs> to, like, buy right. shampoo and, like, put it in his shower. It was really, I had this, like, delight. It gave me this, like, warm feel. Anyway, so then they do this great scene, which is really for her. Like you said, like, yes. she's the one who receives almost exclusively, she receives all of the pleasure in this yeah. whole scene. It is not, his pleasure is derived from watching her have pleasure. So she's, like, had this intense scene as a sub. And then, but then... She flips the whole scene, and when they get home, it's clear that he's the one who needs taken care of. Yeah. And, like, there's a really emotional, again, this is, if you're a writer and you're thinking about, like, point of view and how to write, this is a great example of a scene that only works the way it does because we're in the hero's point of view. Mm -hmm. And then he invites her to Hawaii to his brother's... I don't know, his brother's getting a plane in the Navy or something? (laughs) Something, right, exactly. You know, and he was like, I'm not going to go. And she's like, you should go, it's your brother. And then he's like, I want to go and I want you to come with me, right? And it's... And she says, is it a question or is it an order? Yes. And he says, it's a question. The question. Um, But then after she says yes, he's like, it probably would have become an order if you'd said no. Like, so there's this, like, awareness of how much they need each other. Yeah. And then Nikki removes these two people from Chicago and this world where there are all these sort of outside forces and threats and takes them to paradise. Now they're just normal people doing normal things. With his family. And it's, like, and he the has sex no changes. idea. Yeah, he has no idea how to introduce her to his family. There's this awkward scene where they get there, and he's kind of like, who's going to sleep where? 
I mean, again, setting, right? Like, I don't think people are cognizant of setting in the way they should be, but this is a really great example of how you change the location that people are, you change the people that they're with, you take them out of their comfort zone, and things are going to change. Like, possibilities open Mm -hmm. up, right? And then there is that magnificent scene in the yurt during the thunderstorm where... So they like I don't know you guys I don't like outdoors. But I they like, go me to- neither. I was like literally like this sounds terrible. But they right they're gonna have a couple nights alone and yeah. it's gonna be real. They're really roughing it in a yurt. In a yurt, which is see. And what I loved about the writing of this year is that it seemed like maybe Joseph thought this year it was gonna be more than this year it was too. Yeah, right. <laughs> which that's all of us on vacations, right? You're like, oh my yeah. god, this would be amazing, and then you're like, mm, disappointing. <laughs> It's not quite glamping as they thought they would. <laughs> they were going to do anyway. So they're in this yurt, and what's fascinating is so they've done. The, they've Nikki's changed the setting. She's moved them from all the people that they know. Like gone is the like chrome and glass and steel mm-hmm. of his like sex club and his club club and his restaurant and his like this fancy Porsche. apartment right. and his poor overpriced car and his like stripped down. Yeah, like gone is all that. Now they're in nature. Like, there are flowers. It's There's a thunderstorm. Like, his family is not rich. Like, his family is, like, a normal. It's just normal. <laughs> like, just everybody. Regular. What, what did you say? Regular. Regular. Everybody's just. Everything is regular, but it's regular paradise. Right? Yeah. Regular in paradise. And then they go to this yurt, which is a regular yurt. And they're like. And suddenly they have sex. And it's different. He's not in charge. Yes, that's right. And she's on top. And she, he starts to talk, and she tells him to be quiet. Be quiet. And yes. he is like, "Excuse me, like I'm the one who's in charge." But she, and she says, "It's not an order. It's a limit. No talking." Yeah. And he respects that. But like, of course, you as the reader are like, "And me." Especially, right? As a leader, I'm like, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Like, here we go, right? Alpha submissive. Except, as Jen says, they don't exist. So, um, but this is like the, it's the closest you get to it, right? In this book. Like, this is my, this scratches every one of my itches, right? So there's, and so there's this sense then they have this like intense sexual experience yeah. where like, and he's like having to cede control. And again, POV, you're in his POV. And then she tells him she loves him. Yes. And it's, oh, she, God. and she makes it like, she in her head is like, I'm making a mistake. And I mean, well, you're not in her head, but like she says it and it's just clear, like, oh shit. None of that. That was not supposed to happen. He's he's like, oh, shit. Like, she said she loved me. And, like, he has feels. Suddenly, like, his heart opens and he's got, he's full of feelings. And then she, the next more, and then the chapter ends. And the next chapter begins with her waking up alone in the bed. Really scared that he's gone. Yeah. Because she realizes she has made a really significant mistake. Yeah. Possibly. But. Yes. <laughs> She goes outside, and he's there, there and he's gotten her a cup of tea, because he knows she likes tea, and he says, and she's, like, nervous and embarrassed, and who among us has not experienced this experience of nervousness and embarrassment after a night of, you know, amazing 
everything. Right. And she goes to him and she's like, is that tea for me? And he's like, don't you have a kiss for the man you love? And you're like, oh, I know it's he's so into it. <laughs> it's so good. And then he says, yeah, I need you to wait. Yes. Like, I, I'm not, I don't know how to say it. Right. But I, oh God, I'm it's there, so good. But I don't know what to do. And he, and there's such a magnificent, like in the moment I was like, Nikki Sloan, you magnificent fucking bitch. Like, <laughs> yes. How did you do this? Because again, any other author would have pulled that. It would have been a different kind of experience. He easily could have ex- escaped, um, you know, headed back to Chicago and like, there we are. We're in the dark moment of the book. I love that he's like, I can accept this right now, but I can't quite give it back to you yet. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I want to talk, before we talk about the ending, the real ending, the other part I want to talk about is her ex-boyfriend. Because. Oh, yeah. There's, <laughs> she's had like a lover. He's, you know, I can't remember if they were going to get married or broke up or they just broke up. And, you know, she basically had sex with this one guy and it wasn't great. And he really, this other boyfriend really uses her and it feels very reminiscent kind of of the way her dad does, right? Like, just do this thing for me. And I guess they go to, they go to grad school together and he wants her to like do some work for him. So even though they broke up and he's kind of like, so, but then there's a scene where after they have sex in her place, now again, they had been going to Joseph's place, but now they're at her place, I think is the way it works out. And he, it's after sex, he's in the kitchen getting her Kool-Aid. And he hears the door unlock and this asshole walks in. And another scene I really liked in this book, because I like Joseph so much. Oh, he's so good. Is he doesn't have to, like, fight with this guy. He Uh -uh. just stands there and he's like, I think you're going to want to give me that key back. You're done. It felt like I'm going to be protective of her. I can tell that this is inappropriate. I can see that this guy is probably dogging her, but he doesn't. It's just so matter of fact. Like, yeah, here I am. I just banged the shit out of your girl, right? (laughs) And there's definitely like that sense to it, but not in a way where, again, like I would have expected other authors to have like fisticuffs or like yelling. And it just felt like, get out of here. And she's outraged, of course. Why do you, how dare you? And at the end, when she says, I think like, did he even knock? Right? Did he even knock? And the fact that this is like protective of her, I don't know. I also really like the way that scene played out. There's a phrasing in that moment where she says, Did he even knock? And he says, He sure didn't. He sure didn't. It's something like casual, like, and I, I marked the phrasing because I was like, That is a really clever way of clarifying that they're in it together. Yes, that's exactly right. He's not bossing her around. This is not Joseph being controlling. He's like, I'm with you. I understand how you feel. And there's such magnificent characterization in tiny little ways in this book. Nikki Sloan is doing ballet in a phone booth in this book. Yes, I agree. It is really terrific. And I think that's it. Like, there's it's so possible to like demonize him and you know even at that moment where she's like he's just so oblivious well and he is he's such a dingling sure but he's not like pure evil right as megan frampton would say he's kind of a dope like 
<laughs> yes, exactly. The ex-boyfriend, of course. Yes. I, I don't know why, but I just really love that moment because it's an interaction with an ex that goes against type in a lot of ways, but mm-hmm. really satisfied me. Everything about this book, as soapy as it is, like as dramatic as it is, it feels so real. All these people feel real. They don't feel like archetypes. They feel like fully formed characters. Like no one is all evil. No one is all good. Like, and I think that she manipulates characterization in such brilliant ways in this book and in all her others. I mean, like, I really think Nikki's writing at the top of her game. Yeah. Um, what do you call it? Your the Imperial, Imperial period? period? Um, yeah. Her current series, uh, the most recent book, you know, is also, it's it's like a little, it's daddy, it's a little daddy kink. Like, yeah. and it's great. Like, it, she's just an excellent, a superior writer. Um, And somebody who, if you haven't read her books, like, you're sleeping on her. Can we talk about the end? Please. Because I really like the ending of this book, which is that Joseph, on his own and without her knowing, decides that he needs to distangle himself from this sex club in order to move forward with her. And I found it very satisfying because... We sensed from the beginning that he was like, I mean, even like his appearance in the other club, mm. We, I think there's like seeds all along that he's like, maybe I'm just ready to move past this. Yeah. And I, he sets up like this like sort of structured way for like his, a couple of his underlings to like buy the club from him. So he's, it's not like all purity, like I'm going to get out. He's like, no, I'm going to get my money. But just that he really understands that in order to be with her this is going to have to, like, go away, and that's worth it to him. I was really impressed by this choice and the way it was written because, so, I have recently written a sex club. Um, It's coming out at the end of June, (laughs) Daring in the Duke, pre-order now. Um, And the heroine of Daring in the Duke owns a brothel for women, um, so staffed by men and women who, you know, have sex for money and enjoy it. Similar to this, like, everybody's safe. If you want to leave, you can leave. And I really struggled with what happens with the club, right? Because obviously there is a challenge to um, we're going to get married and have a family potentially, or we're going to live happily ever after and potentially have a family. And we can't live in our sex club, and can you really still own a sex club? And I won't share what happens in my book. Um, but I did not want to do away with this club because I felt like the club mattered, right? It was, uh, I was saying something in the same way that I think Nikki is saying something about sex work being, you know, a reasonable and, you know, respectable way of making a living for people. Um, and so I was worried, I had forgotten how this book ended and I was worried when he was like, I have to get rid of the club. And because I was like, well, wait a second, because we've just spent a lot of time making sure that readers understand that Noemi is wrong and regressive in the way she thinks about sex work. How are you going to fix this? How are we going to ride this line? And I think she really does ride the line because ultimately the club doesn't go away. It doesn't disappear. It's just sold to 
another person who has been respectfully like running this club or working in this club. So I mean, so it all works out actually really nicely. Um, I thought you wanted to talk about um, the concussion. Oh yeah. And I mean, it was real. it's really fascinating the way that um, Joseph discovers that he loves Noemi is real partner in trouble. It really is. I mean, he, I mean, clearly he knows, right? Because when she confesses, when she says it to him in Hawaii, he's like, I need you to give me a little bit more time, but I'm there. Like he basically is very authentic with her. Um, but so Noemi gets into a a cab accident and she hits her head on the divider between, I mean, I have to say as somebody who, um, you know, I've ridden many, many cabs and not always have put my seatbelts on for some reason in the back of a cab. And so it's it's weird. You sort of feel like you're in a different it's a different conveyance because you're not in your own car. It's stupid. Everybody should put their seatbelt on all the time. Yeah. Um, like I now I do actually now that I have a kid, I put my seatbelt on all the time in cabs. But um, so she not is knocked forward. She hits her head she calls him because she's on her way to meet him. And he or she's on her way. I don't know. She's somewhere. She calls him. She tells him or she no. he's on the phone. He can hear it. He hears her scream. He hears the tires screech, and he hears her scream, and she says, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm okay. Right, it's okay. I just in my head, I have to go do a thing. He's like, no, you wait, I'm coming to get you, yeah. right? Which is a really nice, like... Oh, yeah. Because his heart is, like, his adrenaline's flowing, he's, his heart is pumping, like, he's like, I gotta see you. I gotta hold you in my arms, and like, ugh. Oh. And she's like, it's no big deal, just let it go. And yeah, I know, and the reader's like, oh, whew. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> go to her. <laughs> so, he shows up. He takes her back to his apartment, and she's like, I need to go to my apartment, and there's a whole back and forth, and he doms her, right? He's like, no, you're coming back to my apartment. I need to be with you. Like, I need to hold you. And they get to her apartment, and it's clear that something's wrong, right? She's she's angry. She's like, I'm not, I don't want to fuck you right now. And he's like, what are you saying? Like, I don't want, like, that's not what this is about. And then, and he's starting to worry. Like, he's pushed her too far. He's not sure what happened. And we aren't either. Like, you're really like, whoa, what's going on here? All of a sudden, this is all so strange and upsetting. And as a reader, you're feeling the same way he is, where you're like, oh, he was kind of bossy, but, like, was he any more bossy? Like, he certainly has been more bossy. Like, when he's like, take off your pants and, like, <laughs> right, go fuck those other people. <laughs> it feels like a much more bossy thing than like, let me take care of you after this accident, right? But I think what's really happening here is this, so you start to feel off kilter as the reader because you're like, all that stuff that was happening while sex was happening, is that the same as real life? Like, so you start to question, like, is sex real life? Like, where is the boundary? He's questioning it because he doesn't understand. And then suddenly he breaks down the door to get to her. I love a man I who breaks down too. a door. I love it. <laughs> love it. I mean, I've written it a thousand times. I'm reading a Scott in the Dark. And I was like, <laughs> break down those doors, sir. <laughs> Thank you for your service. I mean, I love it. And I mean, I'll spoil this for Daring and the Duke, but Ewan rips the door off a hinge. And like, amazing. And like, I mean, I just fucking love it. Like, I like a man who's like, I need to get to her so badly that I just have to take this whole door. Just uh, like, doors are nothing. Doors are like paper. I'm a Hulk. (laughs) Amazing. I've written Bruce Banner a thousand times. 
frozen times. <laughs> and I'm fine with it. So anyway, um, so he's like, he breaks down the door to the bathroom and it's clear, like her pupil, one pupil is just blown. Blown, yeah. And she has a, and then he's like, oh shit. And she's furious. Like she's had, she's having a, a concussion, a normal concussive reaction. Yeah. And, um, and he has to get her to the hospital. He calls her father. Like he calls he, her and father. He, and he's holding her and she's feral. She's gone like feral in his arms. And he's, and he says, I love you. And yeah. she is, cannot focus on it. And Ugh. he's like, of course it's too late. Right. I mean, oh, Ugh. so good. It's so stupid good. Like, it, it really so, is. This book was great. Uh, it's so good. It's so I did. Good. I loved it. I loved rereading it. I thought it was fabulous. I think it's a really... It's, I texted Jen this morning. I really like this book. It's a real exemplar. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think, right? Like, sometimes we're just like, I love this book, but I think this is a great I erotic really, romance. Yeah. I think if you... I mean, again, because it really... We really see their growth as people and their their like their sexual relationships and the 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 back I think the other thing I really liked about it is often we talk about um sex as being like it progresses as the relationship does but there are moments of like what I would call almost like regression here where they like retrench and are like protective of themselves and can I move forward in this mm-hmm. way and that felt real too oh, right so real it's it is an authentic romance in the sense that there is it is not a constant forward motion right also can we just for a second talk about Peyton as a character yes and I mean I I really love Peyton's book too but the um but Peyton as Joseph's friend is really powerful. First of all, I love friend. I love um, women and men as friends in romances. Like I, I really, I like get. I get a lot of pleasure from the from friendships between women and men in romance because you don't see them very much. And when they're done, they're often done in a really like beautiful, authentic way. So Peyton is the reason why Noemi actually ultimately understands everything yes. that's gone on, right? So there's the low moment. Her father turns up at the hospital, and lo and behold, the father and Joseph know each other. The father tells Noemi everything about the club. Yes. She's like, he's a pimp. Yeah. She's like, what the fuck? Um, and then she makes a mistake, and he makes a mistake, and then they're sort of separated. And then he uses the Tumblr to try and send her messages, but, like, she's not having it. And then Peyton turns up, right? And is like, have a seat. Let me tell you about this man you love. Yeah. And she's talking initially about her dad. She tells the story of of, um, Noemi's father. And then she says, but you still love your dad, knowing all that, right? Like, if you love Joseph, you have to love all of him, warts and all. And then Noemi's like, yes, take me to him. So they go to his house where he has mono, which is so weird and amazing. First of all, when was the last time you thought about mono? (laughs) Never. I mean, I'm a teenager, so I guess I'm kind of like, what's that weird teenage thing people get mono? I had this, like, huge crush on this boy in high school. Like, huge, massive crush. I mean, like, and one of those terrible crushes where everyone knew I had a huge crush on him. those are the worst. Oh, Oh, terrible. He was terrible. I mean, he was great, but I had a huge crush on him, and he got mono, and I was so jealous. 
I was like, someone kissed him. Like, he got that by kissing some girl. (laughs) I don't think that's how you get mono always, but, like, that's the legend. And I got to tell you, I'm not going to say his name because, like, it's a weird name and everybody would know. I mean, whatever. Everybody knew I had a huge... He now is married and has children and surely still knows that I had a giant crush on him. But the point is that... Mono is one of those things you only think about when you're a teenager, and it's only through longing to kiss people that you think about mono. But then <laughs> it's like, I will say, and you always make fun of me when I talk about symbolically, though, it makes sense, right? Because he's just longing for her. Of course, he has fucking mono. He just right. wants to kiss her. It's a crushing disease. Also, isn't mono like Latin for alone or one? Uh, yeah. So he, uh, Nikki Sloan, come on. <laughs> Stop being so fucking great. I love it. <laughs> Oh, so anyway, God. they get there, and he has mono, and then there's, like, kissing, and he's like, I want to kiss you, but I need to remind you I have mono, which is really adorable. Like, there's something so delightful about this book. Yes. Look, the truth is that we have read a lot of books over the course of two years of Faded Mates, and I have loved every one of them, but certainly there are some that I don't like as much, and I yeah. really like this Liked. book. Yes. Yes. I, I feel did. like this is a book that, like... It is a great read right now on day 71 of quarantine. <laughs> We've got to be past 71. I'm like 171. <laughs> no, it it delighted me. I was delighted to reread it. It it really did. Yeah. I, I like them both so much. I feel like I have so much. All I want is characters who like move through the world with dignity. Yeah. And I don't mean like, like stuffy. I just mean like, yeah, I have to be true to who no, I but am. Like, don't they also feel like the kind of people who like you could hang out with? Like you want to go to their house and have dinner. Like, sure. It just seems, I just like them so much. Yeah. I like yeah. this book so much. Yeah, me too. It was great. Drink some Kool-Aid. Actually, don't. I'm pretty sure I have bad teeth because of Kool-Aid. I think about Kool-Aid a lot. Like, what the fuck was my mother thinking? <laughs> we drank so much Kool-Aid a lot. <laughs> Every time I have to go to the dentist and he's like, why are your teeth so terrible? I want to be like, because my mother let us drink fruity drink. It's you add a cup of water. You add a cup of sugar to water and drink it. What the fuck? So wait, it was Kool-Aid in your house or was it yeah. those? Do you remember those little plastic bottles? Oh, and yeah. And they were different colors. There was yes. like purple and green sure. and red. All that shit. It was, it was just like Midwest. purple. It was a Midwest in the 70s and 80s. You purple, put sugar, sugar in a bottle <laughs> and give it to your goddamn kids. Great. Whatever. Does it shut them up? Fine. <laughs> Dr. Deaver's like, Jennifer, I appreciate your mother. <laughs> My dentist is delightful. I love him. He texted me a few weeks ago and was like, how are you guys doing? And I was like, hi, Dr. Deaver. Aww. We're great. Thank you. <laughs> if you're in Chicago, I'm going to put this in show notes. If you're in Chicago and looking for a dentist, you're going to come see, come to my dentist. Oh, that's so nice. Look at that. See, we're a full service po- podcast. <laughs> um, we are. All right. All right. We're finally going to do a Kingdom of Dreams next, Yay! Sarah. You've read it. Many, many of you have read it multiple times now because we've promised it and promised it. But here we are. Jen's life is calming down. My life is calming down. We're going to read Kingdom of Dreams. I'm ready to talk about it. You guys, get ready. Get ready for what I think is one of the greatest end games of a romance novel ever. Um, we are going to talk about the way a terrible alpha needs to sacrifice himself to win the love of a heroine who many of you will 
tell me is unlikable. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you something amazing, which is, um, on the Wicked Wallflowers, Alyssa Cole was on the Wicked Wallflowers, like, way back in the beginning. Yeah. And at the end, you know, they asked those questions. It's like, and one of was, one was sort I can't remember the exact question, but it was like, what book would you want to live in? Something like that. Or I can't remember. And Alyssa Cole, she pauses and she says a kingdom of dreams and I'm, we're going to pull it out. And we're going to pull out this thing from Wicked Wallflowers and put it on our show because the, the way she says the title of this book, it's like the, you can hear her voice. It's like the this magic book. She can feel it. Yes. You'll be able to feel it too if you've never read this book before. Heads up, those of you. There is a thing that happens at the very beginning of the Kingdom of Dreams related to the hero's horse. <laughs> you are going to want to stop. <laughs> Keep going. Uh, obviously, I'm not the boss of you. I'm not in charge of your life. I don't make your choices, but keep going. <laughs> and we're going to, I promise, we are going to talk about the horse. Of course we are. Because as Jennifer says, nothing, everything is, everything has purpose. Animals are always symbols. That horse is, animals are always symbols. <laughs> That horse is essential. That what happens to that horse is essential to the plot of that book. In my classroom, when I teach symbolism, that's my. You make them read a kingdom of dreams. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be funny. I make them read a book called House of the Scorpion, the Animal Farm. And I say, we have my rules of symbolism because I like to teach them, right? Make this real abstract thing concrete. Animals are always symbols. It's not House of the Puppy. It's not House of the Viper. It's not House of the Bunny Rabbit. It's House of the Scorpion. We got to figure out why. Ah, very nice. We're going to go through all the pets in all of my books. You're going to tell me why. (laughs) You're going to tell me why Lavender exists. (laughs) Temple's pig. Now, Um, regular pets are just pets. But if it's some weird pet. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Okay. You can find us on Twitter at Faded Mates Pod and on, no, on Twitter at Faded Mates and on Instagram at Faded Mates Pod, although I have lost the password to the Instagram account. So, you know, we got to ask Kelly for it. I'll figure it out. (laughs) I'm like, I'm pretty sure Kelly knows and uh, neither of us do. If you go to the Faded Mates website at FadedMates.net, you will find a treasure trove of exciting things there, including transcripts that are coming of episodes we're slowly transcribing all of our episodes you'll find a merch link that will take you to jen's website where resistance buttons and best friend kelly have built pins and stickers and all sorts of other things and note cards coming like really this week yeah they're fucking awesome she showed them to me this morning it's brand new that's so exciting. I don't know. There's new stuff all the time over there. Don't miss it. That's FadedMates.net. You can also watch all the music videos of all the music that's on the show. If you like the music, we have a Spotify playlist. There's a link on the on the website to that. Um, we really love Overcast. We really love um, all the tools that Marco Arment has uh, developed for free for podcasters. So please, if you are interested in podcasting or are looking for a podcasting app, try Overcast. Our podcast is produced by Eric Mortensen. And uh, you can call us and tell us about the book that blooded you, um, one of these many books that have that have blooded, among the many books that have blooded us. The telephone number 
that you can call is 646-450-3766. And always remember to please wait until the end of the podcast because you'll hear a voicemail from one of your fellow listeners. Um, If you want to talk to other people who listen to the podcast, you can join the Facebook group OSRBC. And on Wednesdays, a post goes up about Faded Mates. That's my um, romance discussion group. You can also talk to other romance readers there. And I have a book coming out at the end of June. As I mentioned, there is a brothel in it. It's owned by a woman, not a man. And uh, it's called Daring in the Duke. You can pre-order Daring in the Duke from my local independent bookstore in Brooklyn, Word, and give a little bit of money into the New York economy. We're still closed here on day 71. Um, And as a reward, you get some swag from me related to the book, and you get a special edition, bright yellow, grace-colored Faded Mate sticker for your laptops or, you know, car bumpers. (laughs) <laughs> or whatever. That would be amazing, by the way. We need a car. We need a bumper sticker slogan. Tweet us a bumper sticker slogan, Linda. <laughs> uh, next two weeks, Kingdom of Dreams. After that, Daring and the Duke. Farewell, my loves. Hi, Ben and Sarah. Um, my name is Kate. Thank you so much for the podcast. It is so much fun to listen to every week, and it's just like. It's such a pleasant, uplifting experience, especially now in the middle of a quarantine, which is no fun. But I wanted to tell you about one of the books that flooded me, and that's Slave to Sensation by Nalini Singh. So I started reading romance exclusively a, a little over a year ago. Um, I had read off and on, but this was like, okay, I need ATAs now, and I'm tired of all these depressing books. And then I just fell into romance, and I never really stopped. Um, I kind of started with the Sinister series by Stephanie Lawrence, which you talked about, and I adore wholeheartedly, but the book that got me into paranormal romance was Slaves to Sensation. And I read it because it was like, I don't even remember how I came to it, but it was available to borrow on my the app, and I just could not put it down. It was so good. And then I quickly read all the other books in that series, mostly out of order, and then I read them again in order, and I think I'm going to read them again now because I just love them so much. The world building is so good, and I can just escape into them for a little bit, and people are in love and happy, and it's all terrible things are happening, but it's all going to work out. And it's great, and everybody needs more um, jaguar and leopard shifters in their lives, don't you? Okay. Thank you so much for your podcast, Sarah. I also love your books, and I think they're great. Um, Resident and the Beast is one of my favorite books ever now. And, yeah. You guys are awesome. Thanks for all that you do. Bye.